Welcome to the world's premier Black Crows podcast. State of America. Hosted by two of the band's most dedicated fans, David Hudson and Ian Rice. And now, let's get the show on the road. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the State of America podcast. I am your host, Ian Rice, and with me, as always, my good buddy, David Hudson. David, how are you, sir? Couldn't be better, Ian. I'm tired, I'm worn out, but I'm good. You're tired and worn out with a good cause, my friend. Uh, You just completed the... State of America Road Trip 2022 that uh, found us, well, found you, going down to Nashville with a group of our nearest and dearest, checking out Trigger Hippie Show down there. I, of course, was supposed to be there, but uh, a little something came up, got in the way, so you had to uh, represent us in full. Yep, Ian, I had to be the face of the podcast, as they say. Um, as if, As if you're not. <laughs> Man, first of all. To everybody that came from all over the country, what a good time. Let's see if I, Mo Young, I'm going to have to go West East. Mo Young, obviously I came there. Brett Hogan, Sean Hillman, Jason Donches, Jason Johannes and his wife, who is awesome. Seth and Steve from the Americans. Superfan Kate was there. Our contest winner, Daryl Maupin was there. Man, I hope I'm not leaving something. Anyway, it, anyway, it was a very good turnout. We had a lot of fun. Gleason and I ate some like world class food. Let's get to the the Trigger Hippie. For my first time seeing them of the people that have seen them multiple multiple times, they all said it's the best they've ever sounded. The venue Thirty Lindsay is a really cool place to go see a show. Obviously, it has the floor, but then it has these cool balconies with tables, and uh, we commandeered three or four tables. We got there, and Dave Gorman, Steve's brother, recognized us and came over and talked to us, and uh, I had a probably good 15 or 20-minute chat with him. You can look at him and tell he's Steve's uh, brother, and it kind of has a little bit of the same sense of humor. He was just a super nice guy, so Dave, I really appreciate you coming over and talking to us. That meant a lot to us. The opening band was really good. I think the guy's name was John Latham. Gorman had told me that that was um, one of his favorite Nashville musicians, and they sounded really, really good. And then Trigger Hippie came out, and uh, I think Seth said it's just six musical assassins up there. Man, they sounded so good. Amber has it. I don't know what it is, but she's got it. And as Sean Hillman said this weekend, she has some to spare. They debuted three new songs. They had uh, they played Peter Gabriel's Sledgehammer, which was cool. And Ian, for the encore, they broke out one that you would have loved. The band's The Shape I'm In. Oh, man. Wonderful. And they slayed it. Uh, the three new songs sounded really good. Let's see, off the first album, I think it was just Heartache on the Line and, and Dry County that they played. I could be wrong. But, uh, man, Don't Bring Me Down, uh, Born to Be Blue, The Door... All of that was so good. The thing that's remarkable, you have three people that can sing. And Ed Jurdy is uh, a great guitar player and singer. And then do not think, because he's not in the Black Crows, Steve Gorman does not beat the drums like they insulted his mother. Man, he hit 
hard. And about half the show, I sat with Gleason up in the balcony, and we were just watching him. And he just, man, he was—he's got a heavy foot, and uh, he really, he really had a good night on the drums. And so um, he had messaged me before the show. He said, "Hey, hang around afterwards. I'll come out and say hello to everybody." So I was able to, you know, tell everybody, it's like, stick around. Everybody stay in front of the stage. He's going to come out and chat with us. So we waited 15 or 20 minutes. Pretty much the only people left in the venue, except for the bartender. And he came strolling out and held court with all of us for probably, I don't know, probably 15, 20 minutes. And um, uh, Monica got really emotional meeting him. It's her first time seeing him play the drums, you know, and she's been a just a huge fan since 1990. Uh, for me, it was probably the most special moment of the trip because it was real and it was genuine. And Steve was so cool with it. Uh, he hugged her and took a picture and talked to her. And we all kind of stepped back and let her have her moment with him. Um, I will say this. That guy is a class act all the way through. All the way through. Uh, I'll always defend Steve Gorman if somebody says something bad about him. He uh, He was just so appreciative that we had that many people come from all over the country. I think he got strong effort, strong effort. And he was genuinely appreciative of it, which is, uh, which is refreshing. And, and he was, he sat around and talked with us, you know, and held court and just a good guy. He texted me or DM'd me the next morning and, you know, and, and we had a, a quick little chat on there, but, uh, whew, man, that band sounds so good. They, you know, I like both the records. I, I like the second one the most, cause I think it sounds like a real band, but to see them, the, the the records don't even do them justice to the live presentation. Amber Woodhouse is one of the best front people of a band I have ever seen. She does not get out of the, the, the vibe the whole time. Her voice is so powerful. So powerful. And you could tell at times she was holding back on it, too. That's what was amazing. There were a couple of times I was like, man, she's got some room there to, you know, go a little bit higher up. But she but she didn't. I just really, really was impressed. I know they have a uh, booking in Memphis for Memphis in May. I may try to get up there and, and catch that same night the Foo Fighters are playing. So that might be kind of cool. But uh, anyway, I think, uh, I hope Trigger Hippie has some new music coming out and, and they do more dates. But man, it was a good time. You were missed in. I tried to FaceTime you from the, everybody wanted to talk to you, and, and uh, but you uh, you didn't answer the phone. So you missed out on that, but I did a couple. Of, I did a couple of quick Instagram lives so people could see some of it. But just a cool moment, and I just cannot thank everybody enough for coming. It was so good to see everybody. Yeah, I mean, it was a real bummer that I couldn't be there, man. But I do want to say, you know, David and I obviously put this whole idea together, and, and with the idea being uh, of getting, you know, a lot of people together, as many people together as we could. Uh, from this community we developed and even just watching it from the outside, I really have to say, you know, really, it really touched me and touches, it, it really touches my heart that uh, so many people participated and came together and had such a great time. And it was all under the umbrella of, of this thing we do. I can't thank everybody that participated enough. I, it, it means so much to me. I know it means the world to you too, David. And I, you know, I thank Steve Gorman and the rest of trigger hippie for being so cool to everybody. I just wish I had been there, but uh, I was there in spirit. I missed all you guys, but uh, yeah, it's just just a fantastic thing, and I look forward to doing more. And I will definitely be in October, come hell high water. I can't give you the details specifically yet, but mark your calendars: October fourteenth and fifteenth. That's a Friday and Saturday night in the Atlanta area. 
there will be a State of America road trip number two for 2022. I think most of the people that were there are going to be there. Yeah, so if you're, like I said, once we have everything figured out how we're going to do this and what we're going to do, we're going to make it uh, public probably in the next couple of weeks. We will have a good time with it. It's going to be fun. And, um, and I've already talked to some of the people in the Atlanta area, and they're going to be there. So mark your calendars on a Friday and Saturday night in the Atlanta area. So, David, we've been doing uh, quite well with the Patreon. That's worth mentioning, I think. Yeah, I, we keep picking up new people. And um, thank you, everybody that's joined. If you'd like to join, www.patreon.com forward slash State of America. And we're going to have Lila Slopeman on a Zoom hang this weekend. If you would like to join and uh, be a part of that. Yes, that is this Saturday, March 19th at 8.45 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And the floor will definitely be open to your questions. So it is a uh, full participation on that Zoom hang as well. So let's talk about uh, that Lala episode for a second. That was one of our best received download and review wise that we've ever done. It was really, really cool. I think we had some emotional moments, but for the most part, it was really funny moments or, or cool moments to hear different stories about songs, about the band, about her life. She's had an interesting life. Um, I've gotten to know her a little bit more since the podcast through uh, text and, and talking to her. And uh, she just seems like a very sweet, genuine soul. Yeah, it was a fantastic interview. And, you know, there were some questions beforehand, you know, as to, uh, you know, our, our decision to uh, to have somebody uh, in that capacity as a guest. And I, I, I knew right from the minute that we set it up what it was going to be and what, what we could do with it and how cool it was going to be. I just I just had that feeling. And, and uh, it was nice that it turned out that way. I really think it's cool. Some of the, uh, you know, little tidbits and things you get about songs and and, uh, you know, Lala's love for the music and the band really shown through, you know. I think we need to thank her for coming on. Um, Absolutely. That was probably a big deal to come on and, and, and do that. And like you said, I knew when we got her how we were going to do it, and it wasn't going to be a problem. And, uh, you know, if nothing more, I had a very good Twitter and Instagram follow out of that because she's very entertaining on both. I think the last thing I saw of her doing yesterday morning was she was singing Van Halen's I'll Wait. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, she'll post really cool. like these carpool videos of her with her daughter or whatever. And she's like, she's singing and, and, and dancing and moving around. But yeah, she just seems like a very genuine, sweet human being. A definite highlight in a uh, series of highlights that we've had for us personally. So I can't thank her enough for coming on. And uh, like we mentioned before, she will be a part of uh, the next uh, Zo- Patreon Zoom hang. She'll be our first official guest on one of those. So like David said, if you want to be a part of that, you just got to join up. And we've got a couple other cool guests lined up. We just have to line up the date on it. And speaking of the Patreon, we do have to throw a shout out to our newest members, our newest patrons, if you will. Uh, That is Chris Helminski, Chris in West Virginia, longtime old tape trading buddy of mine from years ago from the New Earth Mud days. So great to have him on board. Matt Larson, Kurt Scrape. Danny Howell and Patrick Rankin are among the people that joined since uh, we last mentioned it. So welcome aboard, everybody. Glad to have you. You're really in for a treat. And if anybody else is thinking about joining, now is the time because some really cool stuff is on the horizon. Giveaways, giveaways, giveaways. Giveaways, guests. We've been doing these Patreon radio uh, off-the-cuff episodes where we play, uh, you know, we kind of play DJ to some of our favorite tunes. 
And, uh, you know, we've just been having a good time with the whole thing. And it's a way of expanding the community and keeping this podcast running smoothly. Yeah, we're going to give away some tickets to Black Crows concerts this summer with that money to non-Patreon people. Maybe to Patreon people and non-Patreon people. Sky's the limit as far as I'm concerned. But this week, we have a very special guest again. Uh, I was also very excited about this one. Uh, I've been following this gentleman's music since he first started uh, making things on his own, even when he wasn't on his own, when he was playing with his father in the Fuzz Machine. And that is Mr. Elijah Ford joining the program this week. Now, what did you think of this one, David? I thought this was a great interview. I thought it was really cool. It was pretty laid back. We didn't really have much of an agenda on it. Uh, he, he, he has some new songs coming out. We talked about that. As you will hear him say, say, he talks about the album that he was about to record with his dad. But if you follow Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and everything, you realize they've already, they just finished recording it in Austin. Uh, we hope to have both of them on possibly when that album comes out. Yes, yes, that was uh, kind of thrown out there. We hope that uh, that seed bears fruit. But uh, uh, important to note that uh, if you want to check out Elijah's two latest singles, you can head on over to Bandcamp, search for Elijah Ford, and you can get Our Kind and Black Balloons. You can also stream those on Spotify, but we would really appreciate it if you actually went to Bandcamp and uh, threw down a couple of bucks and uh, supported Elijah because he uh, was a great guest for us, and uh, we hope to have him back again in the future, as David said. Yeah, thanks to him for coming on, and I think that's about it for today, don't you? Yeah, that's, uh, we will check in with everybody soon, and we hope you enjoy our interview with Elijah Ford, and we'll see you next time. everybody so we are very 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 pleased to welcome today a very special guest somebody we've been wanting to have on the show for quite some time mr elijah ford elijah welcome to the program how are you doing sir good thanks for having me all oh yes no our pleasure our pleasure so i'm gonna get right down to it you have two very very new exciting singles out on spotify uh, oh thanks man yeah yes our kind and black balloons i've been listening listening to them endlessly it's kind of you haven't put out much new music in the last couple of years. So how did you kind of get back to doing that? Well, um, man, well, where to start? I mean, I put out a record in 2016. Um, we did a bit of touring behind it. And then um, I started getting offers for sideman work, which pays more than my own tours. Um, so I was happy to step into a more collaborative role and play guitar over here and bass over there and, get out and do the thing and before you know i never stopped writing would record bits and pieces in between but i had a record ready to go done and dusted for south by southwest 2020 you know and everybody knows what happened in march so yes. it was literally the night of our first show i got the baddest band i've ever put together super proud of these songs all new set and then like at 4 p.m and Loden's at 5 30 south by southwest is canceled so uh of course i was just selfishly like god damn it but <laughs> then three weeks is forever you know but uh you know so I, i've been sitting on music i've been 
proud of for a while, but this, uh, these couple singles are totally separate from that. I, I, one of the sideman gigs I was able to do was, um, play guitar for one Edith Stein opening for the killers, uh, overseas. Cool. And, uh, that was huge for me. Side note. I mean, Sam's town came out at the right moment or as a teenager, it was like, you know, it was guitars and drama, not, you know, it was the right <laughs> element of pop and rock, you know, for this guy. But anyway, so it was, it was incredible. They were all really sweet people. I became close with the bass player, Jake Blanton. And I asked him to, if he'd be interested in producing some of my songs and, uh, yeah, we got him out to Texas a few times. It was great. Slowly turned into a whole nother thing where we co co-wrote. So our kind of black balloons are the first from that. And I'm just going to keep rolling that out while I'm on the road, happily busy with Gary Clark Jr. And when there is a block where maybe I can do some touring, I think I'm going to release that record that was ready to go in 2020. Cause I'd like to play that live. Have you heard that killer's record that came out last year? Pressure, Pressure machine. machine. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Mm. It's one of I. Yeah. It's, I grew up in a very small town. I can relate to that album, and mm. I don't know if I've ever had a piece of music hit me as viscerally as that did on first listen. Um, I love that man because it, it was bold for a pop band to do something like that, you know. And it, it hit it almost, me too. It almost uh, feels. Yeah, it, it almost feels like Brandon's Nebraska mm. to some mm-hmm. extent. Some of those songs on there, uh, and I know like a lot of their diehard fans were upset with them and. Um, I'm one of these people that gets upset when people think a band has to quote unquote, have a classic sound. Like they're never mm-hmm. allowed. You can't do Sam's town four albums in a row, unless you're ACDC. They're the only ones that can get away. <laughs> right. There are rare exceptions, but man, I mean, my other, you know, another North star for me is Radiohead. They don't sound the same from album to album. And I mean, even Neil Young switched costumes a few times. Like everybody's got to do it to stay vital and fresh. Heck, Radiohead doesn't even stay the same from the first song to the end of the song to the end of the album. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Now, I you have obviously released the two new songs as singles. I've noticed, a, you know, quite a few artists like releasing singles as opposed to albums. Is that something you consciously did, or or just kind of is that the, yeah, is that man, the landscape well, these days? Or I guess I mean I'm not pretending to be an expert, but one of the other things I love to do is produce uh, as well. So. There's plenty of Austin bands that have allowed me to wear the production helmet and guide them through arrangements and songwriting and getting live performances that we can turn into great recorded experiences, for lack of a better way to put it. But we're just sort of spitballing what is effective nowadays. It seems like, you know, you, you spend all of this money and your life culminating, you know, 10 to 14 songs and then as soon as you release them they disappear into the void you know like it's just if it's not if there's not always something coming a breadcrumb trail that's going to tease people to to stay focused i think it's just a general attention span i mean it's it's i'm sure it's more broad than that i mean you can see its effects in the news and our discourse but essentially like people got to be left on the hook and so i think the the tease is also the way they used to do it in the 50s and 60s and the Beatles and the Stones are putting out singles every three months in between LPs and I think uh, consistency is awesome something to respect the people that can actually 
do it. So yeah, this is sort of my experiment with that. I'm going to do a release every four weeks to this EP. And then depending on how that looks, I might continue with more music or just sit on it and scream into the void later when I feel like it. So (laughs) uh, it's certainly more work to, you know, be present on social media. It's not the part of the job I learned how to play for, you know, but uh, I do like interacting with people. It's awesome that people are listening at all. So that element is cool, but it's the, again, it's consistency. So I'd like to think that this is going to be more effective, but time will tell. (laughs) Now, anybody that listens to this podcast is fully aware that Mark Ford is your father. And that's actually how I was he certainly is. Yes. <laughs> and that's how I kind of was introduced to, to you and, and eventually your, your, your first record uh, upon waking. But I remember I had conducted an interview with, with your father for a magazine called hitting the note. And it was at the time weary and wired was coming out. And mm-hmm. I distinctly remember him telling me that he basically stole a song from you to go onto that <laughs> album with something you're playing in the house. So that seems like that was like your introduction to, to, the music business for lack of a better term is that kind of when you got started uh, with with working on that album yeah i would say most of that statement is accurate i feel like the i mean i grew up you know side stage watching the crows and shotgun headphones through a haze of weed and <laughs> nog champa so you know like i think me i didn't know any i don't know how to do anything else and i'm thankful that my dad not only understands and empathizes with that uh, but also has been incredibly encouraging and helpful. I still, and hopefully always glean from him just by watching or being in the same room. So there were plenty of times as a teenager where, you know, I was toiling away, learning how to do bar chords and then would go spend the day with him watching him produce, you know, like the Pawn Shop Kings or, I mean, a number of things over the compound. But I think that Weary and Wired moment was when I started to really put together how badass his catalog was. I was maybe, I was two when Southern Harmony came out. Like, I didn't know what the fuck was going on, you know. <laughs> I, I, but when puberty hits and suddenly you, there's a talk about like a visceral power in what music does, like Amorica and In Utero were my guiding stars that got me through high school, you know. Right. So anyway, that around then essentially was when I started writing and a thousand ways, which he says he stole, but uh, I mean, he wrote, he wrote a great B section to that cause it needed one. And um, you know, I went to the studio while they were recording that cause it was essentially a, a burning tree reunion, which right. became weary and wired. And I loved burning tree too. That whole thing was popping off. Like what the crows were fucking cool. And, did burning tree do that? That's fucking cool. <laughs> so it was this moment of like, you know, I'm 16 maybe. And I'm in here with, you know, Mark Dutton, Muddy and Donny and burning tree. And I'm going to play bass on this one. Cause Muddy needs to play a keyboard. Like this is fucking cool. And then a week <laughs> later he wants to record this riff that I had. So There's a 
that was certainly eye-opening and in a way that uh, I don't know that I really noticed at the moment how galvanizing that was to have something that I written be recorded by not only my dad, but other musicians that I respected. And then shortly thereafter, I found myself touring with them. So, yeah. What was it like on his first solo album? There's obviously a song about you and it's your dad and your mother singing. Is is that kind of a weird feeling when you, like, Oh my God, it still <laughs> fucks me up, man. I can't listen to it without sobbing. I mean, it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's, it's a, it's one of my favorite songs on the album and it's very, it's very nice to hear from someone not named Elijah. Yeah, <laughs> no, it, it, it really is. You know, your, your dad and your mom are really conveying emotion there and mm-hmm. you can't, you can't fake that. And it's unlike it to me, it's unlike any other song he's ever put on a record. Is that, is it still, it still freaks you out when you, when you hear it? Oh yeah. I mean, how can it not? It's honest as can be. And yeah, that's my mom and dad singing about the realization of being parents and what a transformative weight that it is that they now have to carry and what they're going to do with it and how much it grows their capacity for emotion in a single moment. It's, it's ridiculous. I only hope I can write something half that good when Ash and I have kids. (laughs) Well, you kind of did some work with your, with your mom and dad a bit later down the road, the Holy ghost album from 2014. uh, Mm -hmm. you, You were a big part of that album. Isn't that right? Yeah, well, um, so Phantom Limb came over to Great UK Band, for those of you who don't know. Um, I think their stuff's on Bandcamp. I think the team might have taken some of the stuff down on Spotify. But anyway, um, they were recording at the Compound, where we did Weary and Wired and Fuzz Machine and all manner of records. And uh, so I went to hang out. They're still friends of ours to this day, wonderful people. So my dad produced their baby and then when my dad had another batch of songs he called Stu to produce his baby and so i was like you're gonna go spend two weeks in england with Stu? like i'm coming so <laughs> we went and i basically stayed in my spot in rockfield in wales legendary studio bohemian mm-hmm. rhapsody was written there like sheer heart attack i think a lot of it was done there but anyway um yeah i stayed in my corner with this acoustic guitar and learn the chords and just sort of held it down. I remember feeling like I'm barely doing anything while all of these incredible musicians are playing their asses off on these songs. And now when I listened back to it, and then when I, when we toured it afterwards, it was like kind of like the way, you know, Rich and my, I'm not comparing myself to Rich Robinson, but they're, they're obviously growing up and that is the musical foundational touchstone for me because I couldn't help but be, submerged in it for the first <laughs> half of my life but anyway somebody's got to hold it down and be simple and play the chords for for everybody else to dance and improvise and stretch so i realized after that record that i was that guy and i took a lot of pride in that because it, it allowed the room to open and the ceiling to lift it was the imac screen because somebody was playing it straight you know but yeah that's an awesome record and my, and, uh, my mom came to sing for some shows and yeah, it was a good moment. It's it's a record that really sticks out for me because it's it's very different than any of your father's other records. And in terms of, you know, it's usually I mean, it has a record called Fuzz Machine, you know, the guitars are usually uh <laughs> loud and uh, gritty and then this is a, a largely acoustic record. I thought it was a, a real departure but it ultimately a successful one. 
and well, then he, spoiler alert my dad's a neil young fan well, so yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of that uh going on and also it was produced by an Englishman who writes beautifully dark acoustic music when he's not in massive attack. So, you know, <laughs> I, I do, I do think it was a con a conscious design choice, you know, from the songwriting perspective, but there's still some ripping on there. It just might be a little more polite than you're used to. <laughs> yeah. When well, we talked to him, when, when that came up, he said, you know, I like to make a lot of noise, but every now and then I like to be a little more, a uh, little more subdued. Mm -hmm. <laughs> was, was, were you ever, did he ever try to persuade you not to go into the music business? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, because he probably knew that that would just make me want to do it more. We just hear a lot of times, you know, famous musicians, they tell their children, you know, go do something else. Or yeah, I'm sure it's the same thing with like acting and really kind of any job, because as glamorous as everything looks, there's always a bad side to everything. And I just wondered if he was like, yeah, you might not want to go, go into this business. It's especially, you know, now it's not like when he came up when, you know, when he came up, there's so much money being thrown around and mm -hmm. now record companies aren't making any money. And, you know, you have to make a lot of bands make their money off merch. And yeah. I was telling the band I'm producing right now that we're essentially t-shirt salesmen. So if we can just accept that fact and lean into it, then maybe you guys can make rent next month. You know? <laughs> but I do think the record company's not making money is is a slight misunderstanding of what's going on. There's a lot of payola happening between Spotify, streaming services are large, but especially Spotify, like Warner Brothers and Sony and BMG, et cetera, they all own part of Spotify. So they're basically there's this weird incestuous loop where they pay them for the rights to their catalog and then they make money off their own catalog that they sold to somebody else and everybody's making money but the artists so you know that was another thing like do i put my music out on spotify like i yes because i made it and i want people to enjoy it and my tiny protest will amount to nothing and so that's not like you can see it either as like a rolling over to the giant that's going to win anyway or b I made this so that people can enjoy it. And if somebody buys a t-shirt or a cassette or an LP or a concert ticket because of it, then that, that allows me to live and continue to do what I'm doing. So I can pay the Spotify tax for the moment. I, I it's got to come down to legislation really. And I, I could talk about that for a whole nother hour, but um, anyway, I just wanted to point that out. Cause I think that the record labels have the money to pay artists correctly. And so does Spotify. I mean, it seems like a real catch 22, like you're pointing out is, is that you, ultimately want your music on that platform because it reaches a wide audience, but at the same time, they're not compensating the artists correctly. I've rationalized it as like paying an advertising fee, you know, like it's almost like a, a PR agent or I'm like paying a radio guy to go have other people spend my tracks. So that's allowed me to like, you know, not to over dramatize it, but it's allowed me to sleep at night, but it, it's, uh, it, it's, it's fucked, but we've all gotten used to it. You know, so I'm glad to have the entire recorded music history library in my pocket at all times. It's an incredible resource. But, you know, if we pay 30 bucks a month instead of nine and then there's some laws that change, then like I can't even imagine what sort of world that would be. in. There would be even more music and more incredible experiences for music lovers. But to me, one of the frustrating parts of it is. Like you said, it's instant gratification. And there's so many albums when I was growing up that had to be growers on me because mm -hmm. 
you know, you go to the CD store with your allowance. Well, you know, when you're 13 years old, 20 bucks is a lot of money. And you had to, if you bought something you didn't necessarily like right off the start, you, you'd put your money into it. You had to put your time into it. But now, like you said, and I am as guilty as anybody, new single comes out from a band you like. If it doesn't grab you 30 seconds in, boom, you're done. You don't circle back to it. And there's no mm-hmm. really appreciation. Some of my favorite albums of all time are ones that I didn't like initially. I think it's important to remember that as as we notice our own attention spans shrink, you know, but but we also grew up before this was a technology available to everybody. So I don't even know what's going to happen to, you know, my little sister and my kids brains someday when there's there is no relationship with music shy of this on demand sort of disposable nature of it i and yeah i'm guilty of it too i i will flip through playlists if i don't like the way someone's voice sounds in the first five seconds and that sucks but it is what it I is i don't know there's too much music out here so fuck <laughs> me i guess you know? are you a uh, are you a vinyl guy oh yeah 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 and i would have all everything i've ever done pressed on vinyl if it wasn't so expensive and now there's not a year wait but you know we'll we'll see is there any truth to the rumor that the vinyl factories basically shut down to print Adele's album available on vinyl. Have you heard that? I have heard that. And I, I, it's not a stretch for me to believe that it's true. Both Adele and Taylor Swift had giant records come out at the same time. And I think I heard Adele's got half a million vinyl printed at once. So not only that, but she jumps the line. So, you know, uh, that took over a lot of plants for a good amount of time, but I'm not totally mad at that. I think that it's good that one of the biggest pop acts is bringing that medium to the, to her fans. And I've already seen a couple um, like startups for new pressing plants. There's a need here, like people want it again. And I think that's the only thing that can sort of help fight the brain retraining of on-demand disposable music is the physical ritual of putting it on combined with credits. You can see who played who and where and that spider web of he played on this too and holy shit and this guy and like that's the best. And that and I think a lot of kids I mean you can have that with Wikipedia, but there's yeah. there's no sense of deduction yeah. there, you know. That's ultimately like the best part of listening to an album is like opening that jacket and checking out who's on the album. That's like part of the mm-hmm. whole experience really. Right. You mentioned earlier uh obviously your your dad does a lot of producing and you mentioned producing is that something you would like to do a lot more of in the future absolutely i'm uh been really fortunate the past five to seven years i've been able to do a lot more of that and i really am just as happy playing bass for someone or producing or writing my own songs like i just want my hands in the play-doh i don't really care what angle i'm in i I have to do a little bit of everything because because that's the way i'm wired i'm never going to not write songs i i I also really love the support role where i don't have to be the front man for an hour and a half and i can help realize someone else's vision and uh or just be a professional fan which is how i see producing yeah i hope that continues there's a lot of cool shit i just did last month and actually my dad's flying in on sunday uh i spent all week tiling our guest bathroom so he's got a <laughs> place to be but uh we're, i'm gonna co-produce his new one 
we're going to record in Austin next week. When you approach being in the producer's chair, like what is the approach you take? How do you, how do you see your role in that, in the record that you're working on? Well, I got to like the songs. I got to find something I like in the songs. There, there was a time in my early twenties when I first moved to Austin where like I was still playing with Bingham. Like, you don't need to pay me. Just let me come in to the studio day with you and let me prove to you that I can help. You know, I'm not trying to make my record through your songs. I really like something about what you guys do. So let me bring it out because most young writers and i'm super guilty of that see everything i put out except for these <laughs> singles last week is like overwriting and overarranging and uh you know it's it's too many flavors at once and really you just need butter and salt usually and a, a good main ingredient you know so I, I think it's a lot about you know cut cut the bullshit keep it simple stupid don't bore us get to the chorus like all of these things we've all heard but actually putting them into practice and trusting that your gut like the initial feeling that birthed this idea that then you over decorated is good enough and and a lot of it's really just like work with people it's just trying to bring out the best in what somebody does if they think they're a shitty drummer or they're overcompensating by playing too much again it's just a lot like dude it was cool like cut that in half and listen to how badass you sound you know <laughs> but the, but the more i do that the less those are the things that I'm focused on because I'm able to work with people now that have already done it for 15, 20 years. So then it's like, how do we make this even more potent? What's the lazy lyric here? Like, can we add a note to your verse melody so people don't fucking hit skip within 10 seconds? You know, like, <laughs> can we provide a hook immediately? Can we have some interesting sonic texture that makes someone want to stick around for the chorus 30 seconds in. So the job changes, but I think that's part of the fun. Now that, that description you just gave actually perfectly fits in my opinion, your first album upon waking. Um, oh, thanks. Well, my dad actually, was in charge of that one. I was going to say, I, I, if I remember right, he was the producer on that. And that actually includes one of the greatest songs I, I think you've written. And that's uh, concerning your request. But anyway, Thanks, um, man. what was it like recording that first album? Like how, what, what was the, the first experience like for you? Well, like I mentioned earlier, so much of my early music education was watching him produce bands. So he's really hands-on and in the ways that I've just, tried to describe how I do my job. I learned a lot of that from watching him. And I know that I needed that because it was entirely new territory. And by that point, I'd already, you know, played and toured with him and with Ryan Bingham and many local bands in Austin. And I felt confident in my abilities, but as far as framing my brain farts correctly in a, <laughs> an album, I was, it was a daunting task. So we, we, we flew him in and uh, it was me and Papa Matthew Smith, the drummer for dead horses and, um, and Grant Jackson Wilburn um, who's been Bingham sound guy uh, still to this day. And a dear friend of mine, uh, we hold up in his ranch house in Anahuac on the Gulf. And so we were out like middle of nowhere and just set up in this giant barn and had every station available if we needed to hop around and just kind of went for it. And my, my dad was encouraging and, and flipped a few songs on their head, like 
on your side was way slower and way boring and he decided to inject some Costello into it and that's really that's a favorite of mine and it was great we just hung out for a week and we got halfway through and my girlfriend now my wife came down halfway through and we played her let me count the ways and distance between which are were obviously about her and uh i got some tears out of her and then i noticed my dad was crying too i'm like fuck yeah i got something here you know <laughs> it's 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 my elijah <laughs> <laughs> well yeah i mean shit there's you know there's just something hopefully uh, direct you can tap into a lot of my favorite songwriters tom york excluded are there's enough room to insert yourself into the love story or whatever the song is about but I feel like the more naked and direct we can be, the more potent it is. Everybody can get involved. Like Pressure Machine, for instance. It is about nothing else but exactly what he's talking about. And if you identify with that, that is a gut punch. And if you don't, then hopefully you like the melody. But that's yeah, there, okay. Yeah, there's you know? no ambiguity to it. Yeah, I'm down with that. Oh, yeah. Unless it's totally abstraction. Like uh, Rejoice off of Palm Liking is abstraction. You know? and, and that's shit of, that I think is you know, close your eyes and get stoned and lean back. And hopefully it conjures images that you don't know how to place. And that's part of the fun. Like that is literally 90% of Radiohead's catalog. And I'm totally okay with that. But I think sometimes that's almost a harder trick to do just at least from growing up with my parents' record collection of Dylan and George Harrison. And it's just, and Neil Young, it's just on the nose. And that's where it's supposed to be. So everybody knows what you're talking about. You mentioned just briefly before about your time with Ryan Bingham. How did how did you come to to tour with Ryan Bingham? That must have been a, a real unique experience. My dad was producing Mescalito. He was living in LA at the time. And I think the booker or the bartender at the King King called him at like midnight and said, this two-piece from Texas is killing it right now on a Tuesday and you need to get here immediately. And so he went over and caught a few of their last songs and woke Anthony of the compound up and said, will you give me a couple of days and we can bring these guys in. And so he would not shut up about that for a few weeks. And I heard, <laughs> I heard the basic tracks and was like, I, I mean, I didn't, I don't like country music generally. I mean, uh, but also comes the time by Neil Young is essentially a country record. And I love that shit. So maybe when it's closer to, folk when it's not adorned you know twangy for lack yeah. of a better word but anyway bingham's writing is super direct and it had more in common in my mind with classic rock than any sort of country music that i'd ever heard mm. so i uh went to go see them play at the at the king no at the mint and um I was 16 and I remember meeting him as they were loading in and I grabbed some drums and walked in and Papa told me later that was the moment he knew that he liked me because I immediately got to work and I just <laughs> sat in the corner and watched them be as rock and roll as anything that I'd ever seen with an acoustic guitar and a drum set. And so, I don't know, fast forward a year and Mescalito comes out and Ryan had to fire his bass player like week one of the tour so he called my dad and um my dad brought home this epiphone violin based paul mccartney looking one 
right. and the Mescalito CD and said, learn this and you got a job <laughs> next week. And <laughs> A, I didn't think I'd ever be a bass player. B, I never thought I'd be in a country band. And I'm so glad those things happened. So a few days later, Ryan and Papa came over and we were rehearsed in the garage and off I went. And now great. he's and now he's a TV star. Right. Yep. <laughs> he also is the spokesperson for my favorite seltzer brand. So he's killing it. <laughs> now he, he's day. awesome. I mean, he he's I mean, his writing is still potent. And that was really that was a really great time. He did two albums, right? For yeah. for Ron. He um, did Roadhouse Sun too, and I was properly part of the band then. So that, that was a fun did experience. Your, did your dad ever play live with him any like a one-off or anything yeah. like that? He came on the road with us for the leg leading up to getting in the studio for Roadhouse. So okay. he was third guitar player and would help, you know, pre-production because we didn't have a lot of time because we the Lost Highway was keeping us on the road, which was great. But we didn't have a lot of time to like hole up and work on arrangements and stuff. So he came out on the road to make use of sound checks and make sure we had a grip on what was going on before we before the red light was on. All right, Elijah, when we have people on, we like to do a thing where just we give people questions and it's like a rapid fire. The first thing that comes to your mind. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) What's your favorite Black Crow song? Oh, shit, man. That really depends on the day. Probably Tall's version of Ballad and Urgency. Also, I listened to Amorica on the plane here again. It's been a while. I was thinking about my date with y'all tonight, so I thought I'd put it on. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, She Gives Good Sunflower is unbelievable. I mean, yeah, sorry. That's way more than quick fire. Go on. <laughs> no, that's fine. Since you mentioned it before, what's your favorite Radiohead record? Hmm. That also depends on the day. But I think most days it's the Benz or in Rainbows. Yes. But, yes. Okay. Okay, computer can't really be touched as well from the place in rock history that it emerged from. All right. Who is your favorite guitar player not named Mark Ford? <laughs> hmm. That's a super fan over here, but Johnny Greenwood. He's definitely unique. There's there's a uh like a both the polar opposite, but I think in opposites you see sensibilities that are shared that of someone like my dad or David Gilmore or George Harrison. There's there's the, there's an attack to it, a relentlessness that I really enjoy, but it also is really lyrical. And I, I think he composes where he freaks out in the way that those other guitar players compose melodies over the whole arc of the solo section, you know? You know, your dad's playing and David Gilmore's playing have a lot in common, really. Charlie Starr from Blackberry Smoke was talking to us about your dad, about your dad, and he said Mark Ford doesn't play a lot of notes, but the one he the ones he plays, he makes them matter. Damn right he does. <laughs> So if you had to pick one song from your your entire body of work to be put into a time capsule and immortalized, which song of yours do you think you'd pick? It's probably something that's not out yet, but uh, it's along the same lines as Distance Between as far as like just being direct. And I was able to say what I meant to say and frame it in a way that I think keeps the heart intact, you know? Well, Elijah, we do certainly appreciate you joining us for a little bit tonight. And uh, we always kind of wrap things up with uh, letting the, our guests pick a song to play out with. It can be any song. It can be one of yours. It could be Black Crows. It could be anything. So 
What what do you what are you thinking? Jeez, that's a hard question. <laughs> um, I don't know. I bet there's a lot of people uh, that listen to y'all's podcast that have never heard a single thing that I've done before. So I'm going to use this opportunity selfishly Go and turn it. it back around and say, why don't you guys decide which of the two new songs to play at the end of this? Either our kind or black balloons. Man, uh, uh, as much as I'm enjoying those, that's like uh, picking my favorite uh, child now. So uh, let's, let's go with black. No, balloons. Should. <laughs> let's go with black balloons. Yes. All right. Cool. All right. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time to come on with us. And we are going to now play out with Elijah Ford's latest single, Black Balloons. Thanks for joining us and stay told, everybody. You got bad blood following you like a dozen black balloons. So you shake hands and show your teeth. Comes and goes.